Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a solo podcast by W.J. Sheehan. For those of you who don't know me, I am the author of a series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon, volumes 1 through 9 in paperback and ebook. And at Audible, you can purchase volumes 1 through 8 in audio format. They're also available at Amazon and iTunes. So please, go out, buy a book, show some support. And if you're new to this podcast, generally I'd be introducing my brother right now for our first segment, which we call Cryptids in the News and Other Oddities. But unfortunately, Kevin was attacked by a dogman, and he's laid up with his foot elevated, a position not conducive for podcasting. So, Kev, wishing you well. All our listeners, I'm sure, are concerned about you as well. So today, my friends, I'm going to be doing a little read alone, if you will. Well, I'm never alone. I've got all of you with me. So we as a group will engage in a fantastic account of a Bigfoot, you and I together. By the way, I'm about to engage in a little TikTok perhaps some Instagram. I'm uh, investigating these two venues right now. I may be doing some segmented reading on TikTok. On TikTok. TikTok, uh, Until I can achieve a thousand followers. And then, as I understand it from some of my younger co-workers... I could then do a little live gig on TikTok. So I'm looking forward to that. I just purchased some uh, a small amount of equipment necessary to do the job. And uh, I'm learning the ropes, the how-to. And uh, I'll be doing a little experimenting on my own to see how things work and how they come out. And I'll keep you abreast. For those of you who know something about TikTok... Uh, I learned that the longest segment shy of a law uh, a live show is three minutes. So I'm planning to do some segmented reads, depending on the la- length of the uh, account. 
uh, what I have to say, uh, maybe three, four, five parts, all kind of linked together. You just kind of follow along. And, uh, of course, the end game is going to be doing a little live gig on there. Uh, and I'll learn more about that as I go along. Uh, if any of you have any information to share with me worth knowing or worth hearing about, certainly contact me, and uh, I'd be glad to talk to you and uh, pick your brain uh, as to the how and the why. You know, us older guys, uh, you know, we don't pick up on some of this stuff so easily, and it seems like some of these young people are coming out of the womb with a, uh, a brain ready to take on uh, uh, any type of electronic device that comes out. They're just like acclimated to it like a fish to water. Personally, I don't get it, but I'm glad to have them around to tutor me. <laughs> so let's jump right into it here. By the way, we had a winner of our signed book contest, uh, but I'm going to save that for when Kevin's back with me, we'll read that person's email and uh, I'll tell you who you are. And remember, the way these contests go, you have to be listening to the podcast where I announce who you are and then send me in your full name, address, etc. so I can send you out the book, okay? <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's have at it. This account is... Uh, really quite interesting. There's no end to the amount of people out there that have seen something. And as I'm about to read, some of them in the most remarkable of circumstances. So let me dig right into this here. This particular account came from a fellow named Ronald Johnston. He was a two-tour veteran of the Army Airborne during the Vietnam War. This is his story as he told it to me. I was serving my second tour in Nam when the whole deal was called off. All the boys that could come home did, but unfortunately, many good men were left behind. As I tried to call the rem- as I tried to recall the remainder of the 70s, it all seems to be a big blur. Both mentally and physically, I was shot, having left it all on the table in Nam. I was as lost as a soul can be, and I found myself drinking heavily and smoking a lot of weed, which went on unabated until around 1979. At that time, I made a move to Lake Tahoe, hoping for a fresh start at life. While I was in the barber shop waiting for a cut one day, I noticed a magazine lying on a chair, and it was open to a page that featured a picture of a blazing fire. I picked it up and began to read the article, which was a pictorial about a group of fire jumpers and the work that they do fighting forest fires. That article had stirred something up within me. As I looked around and looked at all the photos of those men arm-in-arm with their faces covered in black soot, 
I realized that I had found my destiny, and it became my new reason to live. I spent the next year researching and training, doing everything that I needed to do in order to become a fire jumper. The reality was that I already had my foot in the door thanks to my army training. I had been on several hundred parachute jumps, and I was still personally physically fit. But during the year of training, I bolstered my fitness even further. On top of all that, I was a certified field medic. Thanks to my training and experience, I was welcomed into a team in the northwestern United States. Now, fire jumping can be incredibly dangerous. Many times we're airdropped into locations where a severe fire is believed to be heading based on the terrain, fuel supply, and the direction of the prevailing winds. Our job is to create fire breaks so that once the fire makes it there, it will run out of fuel, and if we did our job properly, the fire itself will burn out. Once we are dropped in, fire jumping can be a very lonely affair, and we must be attentive to the advancing fire at all times. In many situations, the only help we can rely on is ourselves and perhaps some air support, though in some cases, we can receive ground support if we find suitable areas for them to reach us. When we were in the heat of it all, it was not unusual to see all kinds of wildlife running about here and there. Herds of wild horses, deer, and everything else that you can imagine run for cover, trying to escape the flames and smoke. One August, a lightning strike started a blaze in Northern California. There were already 5,000 acres on fire when we were called in. We began to work an adjacent hillside opposite from the most intense area of burn, felling trees and clearing the underbrush. We worked on clearing this break for hours before the team leader made the decision that we should climb the hillside and work our way down to a canyon area to our west. The thought, the, that, the thought was that if the fire advanced in the direction of the canyon, it would either burn out by the edge or burn down into it, making it easier to contain. Everything in this business is a gamble of what-ifs. As we began our descent, we noticed a line of creatures walking away from the canyon and heading north. They were black in color and walking like men. One of the members on our team pulled out her, yes, her, binoculars and said that they were Bigfoot. We couldn't believe it, but we were all given a chance to look through the binoculars ourselves and had to admit that it was true. There were three large Bigfoot and one smaller one, fleeing from the smoke and impending danger, like all of the other creatures. We had no time to continue watching, but had plenty to talk about. When we made our way down to the canyon and had begun our work, forming a line as was always the case, 
Steve Mays and I were closest to the canyon's outcroppings, the two of us now occupying the area that the Bigfoot had just moved through. About two hours into the work, Steve said, Hey, Ron, what the hell is that? He paused, and then he added, Oh my God, it's a person, or what's left of them anyway. We both laid down our tools and motioned for the team to come down to where we were. We stood there, looking upon the skeletal remains of a human being with its clothes still on. The clothes were weather-beaten, so much so that the bones were visible through the fabric in many areas. This skeleton seemed to have been there for quite some time and was wedged between two large boulders. As we stood there, we all started realizing that something was not right. The body had a collared shirt on, but according to the direction the boots were facing, the shirt was on the skeleton backwards. After a minute, one of the men pointed out that the shoes were also on the wrong feet, and there was also no skull present. We wondered who the hell would walk around in the middle of nowhere with their shirt on backwards and their shoes on the wrong feet. There was no backpack or any type of gear whatsoever present with the corpse, only the remains of a blue shirt, a pair of tan trousers, and brown hiking boots. There weren't even any socks or underwear visible. It's a little strange. We started wondering if the clothes had been removed from the person at some point in time. But who or what wouldn't have known how to put them back on again in the right way? I mean, if you're going to go through the trouble of dressing a dead man, it's easier to put the clothes on correctly. We agreed not to touch the remains, though we did try to see if there was some type of ID and we could find none. We all knew that this person didn't just lay down where we found them. The body must have been jammed into where we found it, and it didn't get dragged there either. Someone or something had pushed this body into the opening to hide it. We also knew that we weren't going to carry this skeleton out, not without an investigation at the very least. However, given the fire and the current state of affairs that we found ourselves in, there was no help in sight. Why, over the next couple of days, the entire area may even be overrun with the wildfire. We radioed our find to the command, and we continued to battle this fire over the next 10 days. At At some point, we met up with ground support, in order to relay where the body could be found. About a week after everything was done, three of us went back into the canyon with law enforcement. Thankfully, the fire had spared that particular area, and this time we had come back in with a couple of stump jumpers 
which were beefy off-road fire trucks. The Sheriff's Department was now treating this as a full-blown crime scene. When we started to tell them about the clothes being on wrong, they said that this wasn't the first time they had seen or heard about this. They said a number of bodies have been found in this fashion over the years, with some saying that it may be the M.O. of some type of mad serial killer. After that day, <clears throat> we didn't hear about the, the body ever again. Now, I know that you're interested in what we saw as far as the Bigfoot goes. First of all, anybody who has a brain could tell you we were not looking at large people walking away from a fire. Secondly, even at great distance, we could tell that the walk and stature of these creatures was inhuman. Their steps have very wide spacing, and the upper body has a definitive forward lean. The third and most definitive characteristics of these creatures are the arms. Their long arms swung forward and backward when they walked, moving very slowly and deliberately. You could also see that when they turned or twisted their upper body, the arms wouldn't, would flail outward seeming almost like the movement of that carnival ride that has the twirling swings hanging on chains. It was very distinct. Well, my dear listeners, before I chat about this for a minute, I'd also like to offer my special thanks to our brave firefighters for all of the hard work that they do. May God bless you all and keep you free from harm. Quite an account here. I'm surprised that many people, after all the accounts that we've shared together, still don't think that Bigfoot is real. And I've said this over and over again. Are all of these people lying? From all of these walks of life in so many states, in so many counties, so many different individuals of different walks in life, are all of these people out of their minds? Are they all misidentifying what they're seeing? We hear the same description over and over again. This guy was a seasoned soldier, a paratrooper, now a firefighter. He's sticking his neck on the line for a good portion of his life for the rest of humanity. And to say that he doesn't know what he just accurately described as being three Bigfoot and a smaller one. He described the arms flailing, the long strides, this kind of leaning forward movement, everything you would expect to see of a Bigfoot and nothing you would expect to see of any other animal around there. He also said that when they're out doing these fires, they could see herds of horses, deer, and all kinds of other animals. Obviously, he and the crew knew what they were looking at and what they were not looking at.
And then there's the body shoved in between a couple of boulders. Did the Bigfoot creatures have anything to do with it? I don't know. But many times we have heard about skeletal remains, garments having been taken off bodies and put back on them. What that's all about, I have no idea. If it was a Bigfoot, why would they take the garments off, perhaps to eat them, and then just put them back on for good measure, or like playtime or something to do, see if they could do it themselves? Obviously, if they did do it, they didn't know how they went on and couldn't remember exactly how they took them off. If you took the boots off and put them back on the wrong feet, you didn't know much about shoes, did you? And if you took the shirt off and put it on wrong or misbuttoned the buttons, you weren't used to or didn't have the mental capacity of figuring out how to line them up and button them properly. It's a very strange set of affairs here. Some of you may recall the good doctor in my story, The Bone Pile, who traveled into that clearing in the woods, finding all the bones left, none of them eaten, in an area where nothing else would be laying around after a matter of months. Chipmunks, squirrels, all kinds of creatures would have gnawed at them and disposed of the bones. And yet in this clearing, there were heaps of bones and some other bones. The upper torso of a man's body with a camo jacket on it, thinned out by the passage of time. And a hole caved in in the front of his face going back to the middle of his skull, as we were told by the good doctor, looking like a tube or a shaft of metal had been jammed in face first to mid-skull, if you recall the story. There's something going on out there, folks. Something evil and treacherous. And to me, it's the Bigfoot creature. I don't know what you think. It's not up to me to know what you think, but I know what I think. I think Bigfoot is real and wandering North America. I think Bigfoot is taking out people. And the, the authorities and the powers that be, knowingly or unknowingly, are blaming it on bear attacks, cougar attacks, Mad serial killers, as this story says. Maybe, but then again, maybe not. And as I end this segment today, my friends, soon to be back with you and my brother KJ, I want to remind you of just one thing. If you find yourself wandering through the foothills of Northern California, or anywhere else, as a matter of fact, you better remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Until next time, sleep tight, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>